Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis, one of the Bible Interact teachers. My passion in life has become a journey with God to uncover the depth of Scripture. I was brought up, as a, as a young person, I was brought up to believe that I could just read the literal meaning of Scripture. In fact, I should not read anything more than the literal meaning. And if I read the literal meaning, I would be able to understand Scripture. But I have been working diligently now for a number of years to recover the first century methods of searching the scriptures. I say first century because that's the time of Yeshua, and it's also a period when we have a great deal of literature, a body of literature called Second Temple Literature, and I can use that literature to, in fact, recover these ancient methods. I think they were also the same methods used in, in uh, farther back in ancient Israel, um, but I say first century methods because that's the, the bulk of my, of my research to recover these ancient methods. The people of the first century believed that God was the author of Scripture. I happen to believe that also. Since God was the author and he was infinite, therefore his Scripture, his words in the Word of God were going to be infinite. They were going to be as deep as God is deep. And that's, <laughs> you, you can't touch the bottom, it's that deep. And so they they were able to uncover these these this depth this, this, to uncover this depth they called it mysteries uncover the mysteries of scripture and i have learned to do the same thing now i'm going to give you an example of of how this works and um, i'm going to be in romans chapter 6 if you have a bible you can follow along with me if not i'll just i'll just give you the verses i'll i'll read them to you uh, romans ch- um, chapter 6 verse 14 we read You are not under law, but under grace. Well, that makes perfect sense. You know, literal meaning, you're not under law, you're under grace, because grace has come through Christ. I have the gift of the Holy Spirit in me. This is the grace of God, and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, I, you know, I I can work in, in wondrous ways. That makes perfect sense to me in the literal meaning. But back up a little bit, because the verse starts, Sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Sin shall not be master over you is, in fact, an echo from the Hebrew Scriptures. All right, let me read it one more time and see if you can catch the echo. Sin shall not be master over you. The echo is from the Cain and Abel story. And we have in Genesis 4, chapter 7... Uh, to Cain, God is, is talking to Cain, and he says, you know, if, if you do, do well, you know, you're, you're going to be blessed, and, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. You must be have dominion over it. In both cases, it means to have dominion over. Um, and and, and, in, and Paul is saying, you know, don't let sin have dominion over you. Don't let it be your master, so that it's pulling you around and you're doing all these sinful things you're not walking in God's way you know you've you've let sin become the master over you 
um, and and in Genesis it's saying, you know, um, sin is crouching at your do- door. You must be master over it. You must have dominion over sin. So it's an echo from the Cain and Abel story. And the, the people of the first century did not have books. But um, they, they learn scripture as little children, and little children memorize very easily. We don't do it so much in, in our culture today because we have books and we read. But in the ancient world, you know, they, they didn't have books. There may have been a scroll or two or three in the uh, synagogue, but there were no books in the homes. They didn't have books. So, but they learned as little children. They internalized scripture. They memorized scripture, and, and they, they heard these echoes. Now, they learned scripture in blocks, not in tiny little verses like we do today, in blocks of scripture. And uh, there's been some very good work to, to demonstrate that that is, in fact, how they learn scripture, in, in portions of scripture or blocks of scripture. So if, if something was said from the block, the whole, the whole block would flash in their mind. So this this concept of sin having master over you uh, has the whole that Cain and Abel story would flash in their minds. So what we need to do, because we haven't memorized, is that we need to go back and 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 carefully examine that passage about Cain and Abel. Now I'm going to show you things that you've never seen before. I can guarantee you that. At least I think so. So let, let's go back. We're, we're in Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to take a look at the Cain and Abel story and, and to try to uncover its depth, and it's going to lead us into this whole concept of sin being master over us. We're in chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, and it starts, Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Well, that makes perfect sense. You know, uh, Abel had sheep. And Cain had a, a field where he tilled his crops. All right. And then it goes on, though, and we're going to hear something that you may not have seen before. It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought... Now, my translation has here the firstlings of his flock. There may be different words in here for that translation. But... Abel is bringing something different from Cain. Cain simply brings an offering from the fruit of the ground. Abel brings the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his his offering. The Hebrew word here is the word for first fruits. Bikorim is, is the Hebrew. It's the word for first fruits. Now, to understand first fruits, that's part of the sacrificial system. And first in the tabernacle and then in the temple, the people of Israel would bring the best to God. It had to be an unblemished animal. And it had to be the firstborn. The firstborn that was unblemished was the best. You give your best to God. You don't give just anything to God, which is what Cain was doing. You give your absolute best to God. And Abel was giving from the first fruits of his flock. So he was giving the very best. He was given, giving the firstborn that was unblemished, that was the absolute best. Abel was giving the absolute best he had to give. And that's what distinguished him from Cain. And that's why God accepted Abel's offering, and he did not accept Cain's offering. Abel's offering was f- the first fruits. It was the very best. Cain simply gave an offering. So that's the first thing we have to understand, is this concept of giving your very best to God. Now, um, it goes on that, let's see, um, 
Let's see. Oh, in verse 5. God, uh, Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. What I want you to do now is that I want you to get a visual image. Hebrew is a very um, emotional language. And it was done in the ancient world when they were listening to, to Scripture. They weren't reading it. They were listening to Scripture. Uh, so Cain, his, his countenance, his face fell. Can you get a picture of a falling face? I mean, you can probably right now sit down and let your face fall. Crunch it down and let it fall. And that's exactly what was happening with, with Cain. So we're getting a visual image of his face following. And that's important for you to, to see that image because what follows is, is the opposite. Because it says, if you do well, Cain, will not your countenance be lifted up? So we have a, fa a face that's falling and, and then something that's being lifted, the countenance has been added by the translators to try to give it sense. But it, what it says in the Hebrew is, will you not be lifted up? Not your face, but you. Will you not be lifted up? The Hebrew word for being lifted up is se'et, which means to be exalted. So we have the sense of lifting up as being lifted, lifted up to God and, and exalted by God and, and brought into his presence. You're exalted. You're lifted up. So my suggestion here is, and, and I'm going to divert for just a minute and, and tell you a conclusion that I have drawn. I'm not going to support it in this teaching, but I am going to bring it in because I think it's pertinent to what we're doing. I think that Abel represents all of God's children who give their very best to God. Eventually they're going to become a remnant because they have a role to play at some time in the future. And God is, is, is selecting the, the, the ones who are going to obey him, the ones who are, are, are in humble obedience. Um, Cain, my suggestion here, is that Cain represents all of those who belong to God, but they're not giving God their best. Now you look out among Christians today. Not all Christians are giving God their very best. All Christians have made Jesus Lord in their lives. To make Jesus Lord is to submit to him in humble obedience and, and to serve under your Lord Yeshua. That's what it means. Um, and, and those are the people who are giving themselves as first fruits. Now, it's, it's very interesting because the book of James in the New Testament talks about that. And, um, and, and James says that uh, God brought us forth, and he's talking about Christian believers. God brought us forth so we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. That is so important because all Christians are not giving themselves as first fruits, but we're all called to give ourselves as first fruits. And when we do give ourselves as first fruits in humble service and obedience to our Lord Yeshua, we, be, we are. We're, that's the witness. People can see it. Um, those who have submitted to, to Yeshua their Lord, are, are, they walk, there's a light that shines out from inside of them. You can see it. And, and that's the witness. And we, we are supposed to be a kind of first fruits. Now, it's kind of hard to do that all the time. And our life, fortunately, is a process. You know, we have a life to live. And and, and the goal is to become more and more Christ-like, to grow closer and closer to God. And, and in so doing, you, you're becoming the first fruits. You're becoming 
a wonderful servant of your Lord Yeshua. So we go back to the Cain and Abel story. And and my suggestion is that Cable, uh, Abel gave the first fruits. He gave of himself. He gave the best of himself. Where Cain um, belonged to God, really. I mean, you know, he's, he was one of God's creatures. He was one of God's creatures. But he did not give the best to God. Now, all of those Christians who are not giving the, their best to God have a problem to deal with. And that's what Paul was talking about, and that's what Genesis is talking about. Now, none of us is perfect, so we all have a problem to deal with, because all of us sin from time to time. And when we do sin, there are consequences. But God is encouraging us, saying you don't have to sin. There's something going on here, so that you don't have to take these worldly consequences. Let's let's keep going in Genesis. So we've read here to, to Cain, God is saying to Cain, if you do well... Will will you not be exalted? Now, the opposite, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Here you need another visual image, because it's an image of a lion. Lions lived in the thick undergrowth of the Jordan Valley. Um, in fact, that's when the Romans, when under the Roman Empire, that's where they got their lions, to bring them to Rome, to feed people to the lions. Um, so lions were were prevalent in in the thick undergrowth of the Jordan Valley. We remember how you know David uh, killed a lion, and that would have been a lion that came up from the from that Jordan River Valley area. So this is the picture we get of the lion crouching, ready to pounce, and that's the picture. It says, um, "If you do not do well, sin." is crouching at the door. It's like the lion is right there in your doorway and ready to pounce on you. Its desire is for you. We're talking about sin, the image of lion representing sin. Sin, that sin is trying hard to get you. But you must have dominion over it. All right? And that's the image that we get in the Cain and Abel story. Now we're going to take that understanding, that echo from the Cain and Abel story, and we're going to go back to Paul's letter to the Romans. And we're going to have a richer and deeper understanding of what Paul means when he says, you are no longer under law, but under grace. Now, the first thing we have to do is ask ourselves questions. This is very important in getting into the depth. Keep asking yourself questions. You've got to be curious, George. (laughs) So you ask yourself, what is meant by the law? Because the term law can refer to several different things. It can refer to the Torah. The law to the Torah is called the law. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, sometimes called the Pentateuch, which is the Greek name for it. And these, this is God's instruction to Moses, given to Moses on Mount Sinai. So this according to the people of ancient Israel, was the heart of the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah. So sometimes law refers to the Torah. Does that make sense? You are no longer under the Torah, but under grace. No, I don't think it, that's, that's what we need. Now, sometimes law refers to all of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, to what we call the Old Testament, to the, not just the Torah, but the whole Old Testament. Does that make sense? We are no longer under the Old Testament. 
Some people have drawn that conclusion, but I don't think that's what it means at all. I think it's the third meaning of law, which means individual laws. Do this, don't do that. They're individual laws or commandments. The uh, Jews have counted and they claim there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. And I think this is what Paul is talking about. So it says, you are no longer under the 613 laws about do this and don't do that, but you are under grace. Now, there is a parallel verse, if you go up to verse 12, it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And we have that same word for to rule over in your mortal body. Uh, that you should obey its lusts. Lusts refers to all those temptations of the world. That's what it refers to. So we've we've got here again the concept of sin working in our lives, and it is a very, very strong and powerful force in our lives. And in between those two verses, I call it a sandwich. It's it's a chiastic structure where there's a repetition in the two pieces of bread and in the middle is, is, is something that we're supposed to look at. It says, don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. What we have here is a very interesting biblical concept, and that is that we are not righteous yet. We're not perfect. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I mean, I desire to walk in God's ways, and and I do in many parts of my life, but I'm not perfect. And yet, we are to see ourselves the way God sees us. God sees us as perfect. He sees us as, as righteous. So we are to present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. We are to see ourselves as already resurrected from the dead. We're, we're already um, with God. We're with God through our Lord Yeshua. We're with God. We see ourselves as perfect. We see ourselves as resurrected. We see the same concept again a little bit higher here in um, verse 8, um, Romans 6, 8. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Have you died with Christ? That is referring to sin. Has sin died with Christ? Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over Christ. Death is no longer master over Christ because he's been resurrected. And then it goes on. Uh, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Uh, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So this is the way we're supposed to see ourselves. We're supposed to see ourselves as righteous. We're supposed to see ourselves as dead to sin. And then it goes, uh, therefore do not let sin uh, reign in your mortal body. So we we see ourselves. By the way, uh, there's a very another interesting thing I want to point out to you here, where it says... Uh, let's see. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. The word consider, you see, you have to be curious. And you can look up these words if you have a concordance. And there's online references. You can look them up very easily. Consider yourself dead to sin. What does it mean to consider yourself dead to sin? What is our word consider? It's a very interesting word. It's the same word that is used with Abraham. 
Abraham believed and God considered him as righteous. He reckoned him as righteous. He saw him as righteous. So God saw Abraham as righteous. God sees you as righteous. If you belong to him through your faith in Christ, he sees you that way and you are supposed to see yourself that way also. And that's what we're getting here in in Romans. Now, there's one more thing we have to look at. Sin shall not be master over you. If you if you see yourself the way God sees you, he sees you as righteous. See yourself that way. See what God accomplished um, through your faith in Christ. See, see all that. And then it says, uh, for you are not under law, but under grace. The little preposition under is a very important word. It's a tiny little preposition under. But we need to look at it in the original language. It, you don't have to know the Greek. It's hupa, but you have to understand what that word means here, under. It means to be under the authority of. We are no longer under the authority of the law. That's that same concept is don't let sin be master over you. We are no longer under the authority of the law. We don't need the law as our master. The people of Israel needed the law as their master because they didn't have the Messiah. They didn't have the gift of the Holy Spirit in them. And in Genesis, I don't know whether you remember when we were reading Genesis, because what God said to Cain is he said, uh, you must be master over sin. You must be the, the, the ruler over sin. I've given you the law. You know the law. Through, through knowing the law and walking the ways of the law, you can be the master over sin. We've got something very different over here. We've got, you are no longer under the law. The law is no longer your master. You know why? Paul's going to tell you. Do you know why the, the, the law is no longer your master? Because you are under grace. There's that little word under again. Under means under the authority of grace. Did you catch it? To be under the authority of grace means you submit yourself in humble obedience to God. That's when you are under the authority of grace. When you're out there walking, doing whatever you please, you're not under the authority of grace at all. You have not made Yeshua Lord in your life. You're not under the authority of grace. You put yourself back under the authority of sin. And and as Paul says in another portion here, you you need the law. He says that in Galatians. If if you've put yourself, if you've made sin your master, you better get the law again. And you better start learning those 613 rules and, and trying to walk in them and trying to be master over sin. But why do it? You've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit through your faith in Christ. So now, when you put yourself under grace, you're submitting to God in humble obedience. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, you will be walking in the ways of the law. You will be walking in the ways of God. So what what have we done here? Let's just go back and take a look at what we've done because I'm not just teaching you what Paul says in Romans and I'm not just teaching you about the Cain and Abel story in Genesis. I'm trying to explain to you how to use these first century methods and I've demonstrated my use of them. 
it comes from the understanding that in ancient Israel people did not have books. They learned by memorizing. They heard scripture. They heard these things. So when they heard, you are no longer under the authority of the law, but under the authority of grace, they would have picked up on that. When they heard, uh, do not let sin have dominion over you, they would hear the echo of the Cain and Abel story. The whole Cain and Abel story would flash before them. Now, that doesn't happen with us because we haven't memorized. So you have to take that echo and go back to the Hebrew Scriptures and work it back there like we did. How did we work it? We let ourselves be curious, George. We asked questions. We were curious. What does this word mean? What does that word mean? This word seems to be significant. Maybe we better look it up. You know, um, your, your countenance, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, you will be lifted up, meaning exalted. And, and the only way you can get that is by being curious and looking up the words. I, the curiosity, I think, comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. That will generate curiosity, and as you generate curiosity, you will know, you just go to your concordance to look up those words, and in doing that, you will get into the depth of understanding. It won't happen right away, but you can practice and you can listen to these radio programs, and we'll give you more example. Shalom!